All right. Man, y'all sounded great. That, that was awesome. Can you hear me in this? Can you hear me in this? Can you hear me? 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 There we go. Um, you know, I am sad to say, I don't know if I know how to wear this, but is this right? Oh, thank you. Is that right? What if I wear it like this? Would y'all, that distract y'all? Do I really have to wear this? All right, I'm not gonna wear this. I think y'all can hear me. I'm old fashioned, I don't need a microphone. I don't need a microphone. How are y'all doing? It's Valentine's Day, did you get candy? Candy? Is that what y'all got, candy? Do y'all still do like the Valentine's in school where it's like these little card things? Why? Oh. Um, so what have we been studying? First, First Thessalonians. So I want to tell y'all tonight is the last message from First Thessalonians. Any ideas where we're heading next? Second Thessalonians. You're smart. I, that's, that's awesome. We are going to be moving into Second Thessalonians. And like Mr. Corey said, there's some wild stuff in Second Thessalonians. So we are super excited to get into that. But before that, we got to finish First Thessalonians. And I don't want us to gloss over tonight's, uh, um, tonight's uh, verses because though it's the ending verses of this letter, there's a lot of stuff to unpack in this. Um, but before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Do you all know what autopilot is, like in an aircraft? Yeah. Okay. What is it? It's a switch that you put in the plane. Basically, it flies by itself. You can let go of the controls and it just stays on the plane. True. So I want to highlight something that you just said. The plane flies by itself. Is that not terrifying? That's terrifying. Yeah, I'm sure y'all have seen the... I'm sure y'all seen the Teslas, maybe like on social media, they look like the like a Lego car or something. But they're driving themselves. I saw one the other day, a video of a guy that had the new, uh, the what's the new iPhone like screens or whatever. But Buddy was in the driver's seat doing this and like not hands on no wheel, and I was just like, what's going on? But I'm I'm terrified of flying. I've never flown before. Uh, surprisingly enough, and it's probably because I'm terrified for the most part. But the thought of setting an airplane to the appropriate heading, the appropriate altitude, the appropriate speed, and then just sitting back and cruising, that's terrifying to me. Unfortunately, what is true of the Tesla cars that look like a child with Legos built it, or an aircraft, is that tr Christianity is not, does not work like that. Following Christ is not like autopilot. It's not as simple as just saying a few prayers every day or reading a devotion or, re or, or you know, reading a few verses per day and then you watch your faith just fly by itself. You don't soar past problems. You don't soar past relationship issues and then glide effortlessly into being a spiritually mature person. It's actually hard work. Christianity is very hard work. It's not always easy. And in fact, Jesus made no secret about this. Jesus said that there was a level of commitment required. In Luke chapter 14, it's funny, that's what uh, Snowbird's going to be going through this summer is Luke. But in Luke chapter 14, Jesus said this. He said, um, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And he goes on. That's just a small section of that, um, of that uh, part in Luke. And so we see that Jesus demands nothing less than for his followers to be all in for him. And so again, as we read tonight's verses out of 1 Thessalonians, the last portion of 1 Thessalonians, it's what you would call a benediction. Okay, it's the ending of that letter. And Paul writes similarly to this in a lot of his letters. Um, But again, we can't gloss over this just because it might look like some of Paul's other letters because there's some very important truths in this section Um, As we have seen in the second half of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, we've been talking a lot about that church's commitment to Christ, okay? How they should be a community of believers and how they should be a a gospel church, how that church should reflect the gospel. Um, Remember, we've talked about how a church is the reflection of a family. The New Testament describes the church as a family in numerous places, And what we've seen in some of the themes that Mr. Corey and I have kind of gone through is that Paul seems to be indicating to this church, hey, if you're all in for Jesus, your life should be reflecting that. Now, how has Paul shown this in this letter? Think of some of the stuff that we've talked about, some of the themes. This is kind of a review of the past uh, 11 weeks, I think, is what we've been going through 1 Thessalonians. But some of the things we've talked about is how Christians aren't death, destined for wrath, but for salvation when Christ returns. We've talked about moral purity. We've talked about love within the church, love for each other. We've talked about death. We've talked about relationships with people. We've talked about how to treat a pastor and how to treat each other. There's been a lot of things we've talked about. And so as we come to the end of this letter, we have to maybe expect that these listeners, this church, the Thessalonian church, by the time they had gotten to this point, they might have felt a little overwhelmed at measuring up to what Paul had been writing to them for. Because it was a lot. The thought was doubtlessly on his mind as he penned the closure to to the letter that we're going to read today. But what's really cool, and with encouragement that we're going to see from Paul in his writing today through God's Word is that he seems to be saying that God is interested with their spiritual success so much that he wants to be personally involved in their lives in bringing that to to fulfillment. So God will fulfill his purposes in the lives of these believers and through them by his work, which is known as sanctification. Now, have you all heard of that word before, sanctification? We actually talked about it on a Sunday night back in like November or something. Um, And so we're going to be talking about sanctification a little bit more tonight. I had no idea we were going to be hitting it up in 1 Thessalonians again. But tonight is just one element of sanctification, and that is God's work in it. Um, We can't just sit back idly and let it happen This isn't a situation where when you become a Christian, you can just kind of kick your feet up and have grapes be fed to you like, I'm a child of God, right? Come feed me grapes or something, you know? I'm glad Mr. Corey left at that. Um, But if that was the case, we wouldn't have a New Testament. 
If you look back through the New Testament, especially 1 Thessalonians, but all the other letters, you see countless exhortations. You see countless commands for Christians to live out their life. If they're truly believers in Jesus Christ, there's commands to live out that life, to be the light in a dark world. And so we have a huge hand in this process too, but tonight I want us to see that we can rest assured that God is at work in this in believers' lives. So tonight, as we dive into Scripture, uh, I'm going to have Mr. Steve come up here and read our Scripture. Will you please stand with us as Steve reads it? Yeah. Can you read loud enough? Uh, yeah. Sweet. So we're going to be reading out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tonight, verses 23 through 28. All right. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss, and I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to you by all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You want to pray? Sure. All right. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we got to show up to Wednesday night tonight. I pray that we take a lot of things out of Mr. Chad, um, and we drive back safely tonight. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Hey, let's give him a round of applause. Hey, thank you for serving. Um, if anybody wants to read for us up here, let me or Mr. Corey know. That's always a big help. Um, anybody wants to pray, any type of service, come let us know. We're always available for that. So we're going to break this apart, as we always do, starting with verse 23 and kind of move our way through. Before we really dig in tonight, I want to talk about sanctification a little bit more because that word just sticks out in tonight's section. And we really need to consider what actually happens in the work of sanctification. And so what's interesting is that in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul had actually already used this word. He had told the church that God's will was to sanctify them with respect to their sexual purity. That was actually a night that Mr. Corey got to bring the message to us. But God sanctifies by transforming both who we are, so that's our standing currently and what we do, and that's the living that we have. And so you see tonight in the, in the uh, verse 23, you see Paul utilize the phrase, and may your whole spirit and soul and body. This is a request for God to completely transform His people from the inside out. And, and the point is that while we can do everything in our personal power to change ourselves, to change our appearance maybe, there's nothing that we can do to truly transform our soul, our spirit, and our body. Or excuse me, our soul, our spirit, and our body, yeah. Fixing up the outside can only provide a temporary peace. This is a peace that what I'm talking what the Bible refers to is a peace that transcends all understanding and what God can give. And we are incapable of doing what God does. Only God has the power to do that for us. And so to understand the significance of what Paul is saying here, again, we need to look at sanctification. So there's three elements I want to look at about sanctification. And the first one is, I'm sorry, I don't have slides tonight. And I don't have a movie for you guys. I, I kind of failed on you. But um, the, the first uh, point that I want to um, mention is that sanctification secures a believer's standing. 
And so what that means is that how the believer grows in their holy conduct of life, the moment that you put your faith in, in, the, in Jesus Christ and you are known as to be as born again, you are instantly set apart. He forgives your sin. He changes you. He changes your nature. He adopts you as a child and he clothes you with his righteousness. And so when the Thessalonians had did this, when they were saved, they were sanctified. And so actually in Romans chapter 6, verses 11, Paul was writing, he said, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. They had positionally a new standing with God. So sanctification secures your standing and it's instantaneous, okay? But here's another interesting thing about sanctification. Say that a lot. It ensures our progress. God doesn't save us to let us just kind of sit and soak in our salvation. He saves us so that we can go out and live it out. That is Paul's point as he prays here to the Thessalonians to be more like Jesus through the sanctification of their spirit and their soul and their, their bodies. God loves us too much for us to remain where we are. He tirelessly chips away at us bit by bit at our sin and at our imperfection until we look more and more like Jesus. It kind of reminds me, does everybody know Miss Carolyn works in the front office up here? Every year since I've been here, I think it's every year, it might be the only the last three or four years, I don't know. She makes me a cake for my birthday. We were talking about birthdays earlier. It's a giant, have y'all ever seen Matilda? You know the cake the kid eats on the, it's like that. It's like that, and I can eat the whole thing. And so uh, this past year, she made me the cake, and then like three days later, I went on vacation to Tennessee. Guess what? I put that cake in the front seat with me, put a seatbelt around it, and I ate on that cake for like a week and a half afterwards. Every day, there was bit by bit gone. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I see you right here. So... When I think about what, Jesus, or what sanctification does with ensuring our progress, to think of that cake that I eat, or that I ate. It's gone now. Trust me. If I get another one, it's going to be gone too. Um, it's bit by bit. God works away at us. He takes a chip out of us. And with this ongoing word, the Thessalonians, or even us, would not be able to measure up to God's standards if that wasn't the case. So God leaves no stone unturned, though, in His children until we are ultimately standing in His presence. And that's where it brings us to the third point. So sanctification secures our standing instantaneously. So right when, we, right when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, it ensures our progress as we live it out. And then it guarantees our future. And so the, there's an ultimate goal of sanctification, and that is a word called glorification. And so what God did in the past at salvation and what he is doing in your present transformation is preparing believers for our future with him. So Paul, in the letter to the Philippians, wrote uh, in chapter 3, verse 20, he said, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And so we see that, that one day when we get to heaven, we're not going to be the same that we are now. And that's when that glorification uh, comes into play. And so Paul, as he's writing here, he's writing about these believers and their purity and their holiness in every aspect of their lives. And all of that prepares, uh, or all of that correlates to us today. If you 
have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you are being sanctified. He is, he is already guaranteed a future for you, and He's chipping away at that sin that's in your life until we're blameless at the glorification. And so when I think about that, that to me, that's a faithful God. Someone that doesn't give up on you. Someone that once He has you, He keeps you going. Um, and it made me think of the commercial, the Allstate commercial. Um, not the one with the Mayhem guy. I'm sure y'all seen that one. There used to be, before Mayhem, it was just a chill commercial. And there was this like, actor, and he'd come on, and he'd be like, Allstate, you're in good hands, or something like that. I'm sure you remember that. Those are the kind of the older ones before Mayhem came along. But when I think of, what was that? Huh? He is funny. Um, but when I think of that commercial and you are in good hands, it makes me think of how God has you as a believer. He's got you in his hands. He's got you in his hands and he's going to continue to work on you until you reach that point of victory when you die and one day you're with him in heaven. That's that glorification aspect. And so as we, as we look at tonight's verses, verses 23... One of the most interesting and transforming truths that you will ever hear and learn is that God is interested in you. And so Romans 8, 31 and 32 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? When this, so when this hits you, that light bulb moment occurs, it will change the way you live and think. The fact that the God of the universe is active, actively and intimately involved in every single detail of your life, every single detail that you can't see, every single detail that you can see. He's involved in your life, working through you, through sanctification. So that's really cool. We don't serve a God that's some far off God that doesn't know what's happening in your life right now. He knows you intimately. He knows every detail about you. And that's where that sanctification part comes in. In verse 23 of tonight's uh, text in chapter 5, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The God of peace was himself going to empower this church to live holy lives. That's incredible. And he does the same thing for us, too. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he himself is going to sanctify you completely. Now, what I want to say is that this doesn't imply that the Thessalonians have no role in this process, right? We kind of talked about that earlier tonight in the introduction. We don't just kind of get to sit back and eat and have someone deliver grapes to us, right? Because we're a child of God and we're royal. We have a role in this. There's an active role that we have to play in obeying God's word, following God's will, surrendering to that. Again, in Philippians chapter 2, another writing by Paul, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So on one hand, you've got God's working in these believers' lives, but on the other, we're called to pursue a life that honors God. We're, we're called to pursue a life that makes us the light in a dark world, the gospel. In verse 24, it says, uh, Paul wrote, wrote, he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it. Paul reminds the Thessalonians that what God starts, he always finishes. Praise the Lord. I can barely start a project on my own and get it finished. 
What a reassuring commitment that is. The work that he started in you as a believer, he's not going to stop until it's finished. Your ultimate salvation rests in the, in, in the fact that not that you haven't let go of God, but that God hasn't let go of you. We talk about it all the time. If we were able to lose our salvation, we'd probably do it the day it happened. God sanctifies us. He keeps you when He saves you. The assurance you have that God never begins anything that He does not intend to fi finish is amazing. This kind of love and this kind of relationship is not really what we're used to in the world today. Don't really have those in our relationships. Man, I, I've, I know about some of those relationships y'all are in. Them thing, th those things get broken up all the time, right? I hope that's not the case. But when I was in high school, it happened to me when I was in middle school. So, um, Happy Valentine's Day, by the way. Um, but that's not the kind of relationship that you have with Jesus when you put your faith and trust in Him. It's solid. He's got you. So moving on, we see the final few verses of this section we get to see the presence of God through His people. And so in verse 25, um, Paul writes, Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So Paul has addressed throughout this whole letter some really deep topics. Right? We've talked about that. And those topics involved implications on how the church of Thessalonica lived and how we live today and how we will live tomorrow. And, and yet at the end of this letter, Paul comes right back to the, to the local church. He, he pursues to keep them planted firmly in that calling. And, and there's three things here that you can pull out of these final few verses. The first one is praying for one another. Paul says it pretty simply in verse 25. He says, brothers, pray for us. And it's kind of cool when you look at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians, Paul actually opens up this letter with prayer. So you have Paul opening up the, the letter with prayer and he's ending it with prayer. And, he, and he, he actually calls the church here brothers, which he's used a lot here in the second half of this letter. But you kind of see Paul having some earnestness to it. He's not just asking for prayers, or he's, he's needing prayers. And so you kind of see Paul in a different light. Sometimes. Like we know Paul of like this, this spiritual warrior, like this incredible missionary. He wrote like, what is it, like 80, 75, 80% of the New Testament. And then you have this guy, he's asking this church for prayer. And so you, you see that prayer is so important. It's so important for the church, and, and, and we see that Paul's greatest ally and all of the work that he was doing back then were these Christians of this new church, these baby Christians who, was, who he asked for them to pray for. And so that's a challenge for us as listeners to the Word tonight, that we all have challenges. Remember, Paul was imprisoned. Paul was always being... Um, chastised for his faith in Jesus. And we might not have the same things going on in our lives as Paul did, but we too need prayer. The people around you in this room tonight need prayer. And so it's a challenge for us to continue to be persistent with prayer. 
We talk about it a lot because it's arguably the place that we fail the most. I know it is for me. I have to be reminded on my phone to pray every day. I have a reminder that tells me to. That's crazy that I have to be reminded, but I do it. We must pray for ourselves and others. That's, a, that's one of Paul's challenges to this church. In verse 26, Paul talks about encouraging one another. Now, this is kind of weird. In verse 26, Paul says, Greet all, all the brothers with a holy kiss. Now, that might sound kind of weird. Like, imagine if me and Mr. Corey came in and I was like, What's up, man? I said, Right on the cheek. A holy, is that what you would call a holy kiss? Hard, yeah. Mr. Corey said a hard no. So God, God expects His church to be a family. We, we kind of talked about that. He, he expects us to build close relationships that are marked by mutual love and accountability. And remember, another theme that was taking place in this church was unity. And so God wanted His church not to just be a place. He created the church to be a people, a people who love him and love one another. And so in actually in the first century, around the time this letter was written, this, uh, the, the, the act of kissing someone was actually regularly performed between close friends and family. You can see it in, in Luke, I think, that there's a couple of verses that speak to that. And actually in the Middle East today, it's still a pretty common way of greeting people. Um, but what I, what to, we should get out of this is that we should love one another. We should love one another and show that to the people that we, that we live with and, and serve with in the church. Um, it's a request by Paul to, to challenge the Thessalonians to show their love visibly. Now, we might not practice this custom today, right? But the point is that may we not forget to show love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And verses 27 and 28, Paul says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. These two verses really sum up Paul telling this church to continue to grow with one another. And so this final command by Paul is given in such a way so as not to be misunderstood. He commands really that this letter to be read to the church. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Now, it's really cool when you look at what's happening right now. We're doing what Paul had commanded this, the readers of this uh, letter in the church of Thessalonica to do. That's really cool. This letter, since it included teachings for the concerns and issues with fellowship, all the themes that we talked about, the leaders were obligated to share this with the congregation. And so you, one might ask, well, why? What does it matter? Well, God's word touches every area of our lives and it cannot do work unless it is heard. And to be heard, you got to speak it. You got to proclaim it. That's what we're doing right now. So back then in that time, the church services, a lot of the people in that congregation were probably illiterate which means they couldn't read. Books were probably expensive back then. And so few possessed their own copies of Scripture. And so that was the common thing to do was to meet up and have somebody read a letter or read a book from the Old Testament. And really, the same thing goes for us. 
The same thing goes for us because we need to constantly have God's word be broadcast to us. How many times or how many ways do you know that when you leave these doors, the lies that you encounter in the world today, you can't believe anything on the news. You can't believe anything on social media. AI, AI is crazy stuff. We were talking about autopilot and stuff. AI can create images now. You don't even know that if the pictures or videos that you're looking at are real. You have people in your life that might not be truthful, but we have God's word that's unchanging. We have the solid truths that we have in the Bible. And so Paul here commends, commands for the letter to be read. As we tonight listen to this letter, God's holy word, we are met with the same thing that this church was, the unchanging truth of God. We're to grow with one another. That's one of the reasons why we're here tonight. We're growing with one another as we read God's word. And so in typical fashion, Paul closes this letter on, on God's grace. And without God's grace, Paul would have just been another dude. Paul would have just been another dude. And so Paul commands this church to abide in the grace that Jesus Christ has offered. And so as we close out tonight, whatever God calls you as a believer in Christ to do in terms of being obedient or loving one another in terms of your relationships or your or school or your sexual purity, all those commands are included under what it means to live a life that pleases God. We actually talked about that in chapter four. And everything must first be rooted in the gospel. And what's really cool and encouraging is that Paul had confidence in God that this would happen. He said, he, talking about God, who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. He ties everything back to the gospel. And so the challenge tonight is for us to be confident that God will do the same thing for us. Again, remember, it's not, it's, it's a mutual relationship. Once you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you still have to continue to be obedient. You still have to continue to grow and grow closer to Christ. Now, God's hand is in that, but we have a hand in it too. And so God's redeeming the buying back of us, the buying back of me as a sinner, a lawbreaker, someone who doesn't deserve what I have, but only the worst but because of Jesus, that by simply repenting of our sins and um, continuing to repent from my sins, uh, we will continue to do that because we're not perfect. But the fact that we are putting our faith and trust in His Son, we can one day have eternal glory. Um, I keep thinking about D-Now a couple of weeks ago. Did y'all have a good time with that? Yeah, D-Now was awesome. Um, I have been thinking about Pastor Joe, one of Pastor Joe's sayings a lot. And, and it, it's, it's a simple saying, but I've thought about it a lot. And it's this. I don't know if y'all remember this, but he kept saying, stop playing games. Do y'all remember that? He said, stop playing games. And I was touched by that message because I think about some of the times how I waste time in my life not pursuing God. And so when you look at what's happening in the world today, it's crazy, it's scary, it's sad. The world sometimes seems to be falling apart, but I can tell you this, that the truth, the word of God that we have is going nowhere. 
Try to stamp it out. Look back in history when the Word of God has tried to have been stamped out and look what happens to it. It only grows stronger. And so in light of all this, in light of all the stuff that's going on in your lives, I think about what Pastor uh, Joe says and to stop playing games. It's time for us to be real. I mean, you guys are at a time in your life where people constantly tell you, hey, you must do this to prepare for your future. You know, you might be in high school and you say, well, what are you doing after school? Are you going to go to college? Are you going to get out and, and work? And if you're in middle school, you're thinking about high school and maybe thinking about getting a job, maybe thinking about driving. But one of the challenges that I have for us tonight and, and that I took from God's Word is to look at your future through the scope of God's love that He's had for you and that He has for you now. One that so much that He sent His one and only Son to take our place for that. And so I challenge us as a church, as a congregation, to trust in Him, to be obedient to Him, to repent of our sins and to follow Him with your whole heart. And so as always, I'll, I'll, me and Mr. Corey like to offer it up. We're, we would love to talk to you about that if that is something that you've never done, if you've never been able to fully commit and you have questions, come talk to us. Come talk to one of your leaders. We have great leaders here. Um, we love y'all to death, and we only want the best for y'all. Y'all are our kids. We'll fight for you. We're there for you. If you have it yet, take a chance on Jesus. So, Mr. Corey, would you mind praying for us? Yeah. Let's pray, God.